T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Today, we saw the death of Congresswoman Louise Slaughter. Before the next two hours are done, we'll talk a little bit about that. Hear from several of the people who worked with her and give her her tributes. And uh, a staffer will be on the line later in the program as well. Also this week, you heard that Larry Kudlow from CNBC was picked to be President Trump's chief economic advisor. You might think of it as just that. Oh, CNBC, nothing more than that. No, there's a lot more to that with Larry Kudlow, including a Buffalo connection. Before the next two hours are done, we'll talk on that. Morgan Hook will be on the program today. He's a former communications aide to Governor David Patterson. And the, what a week it is to talk politics. We will be talking with him on not only everything going on in Washington, he's a Democratic political analyst, but also what goes on in Albany with Governor Cuomo after the conviction earlier this week of his former top aide, Joseph Prococo. We're going to talk a little bit more about that as well with Peter Haskell from WCBS 88. He was in the courtroom when that verdict came down, and then he also caught up with Governor Cuomo and got his reaction, one of the first reactions to it all uh, earlier this week. So we will be uh, hearing from him as well. But I think if we're talking politics, if we're talking local politics, one of the biggest stories of the entire week is one that is also continuing to unfold in the next couple of weeks. There are yet more calls for reform at the Erie County Water Authority. Standing by in just a little bit, we'll hear the latest in that regard from Erie County legislator Edward Rath. But first, I, I want to set the stage a little bit. On Thursday of this week, despite uh, uh, at least a week of controversy, Despite some calls to dissolve the Erie County Water Authority, despite some calls to even put limits on the payout deals that it can give their executives in an agency that really is, in a lot of ways, kind of a revolving door whenever a a new majority party takes over in the Erie County legislature, in an agency that so many have criticized for its patronage politics, nonetheless, the legislature on Tuesday elected Attorney Mark Carney, a Democrat, to replace Bob Anderson, a Republican, on the Water Authority Commissioner's Board. Carney was a choice put forth by Erie County Democrats. He has donated heavily to the Erie County Democratic Party. Legislator Kevin Hardwick, a Republican, talked about all of it earlier this week with us. The, the, the pick of the chairman, uh, Mark Carney, uh, got 10 votes. Uh, the only vote uh, against him was Tom Logren, a Democrat. Prior to that, however, uh, Tom Logren had a resolution which would have delayed the vote for at least 90 days, putting a 90-day moratorium on that. That vote failed 7-4. Uh, to four. Uh, I joined Tom in, uh, in that vote, as did Jack Mills, uh, a Republican, and Lynn Dixon, an Independence Party member. Um, the, uh, the, vote, uh, the, you know, the vote would have delayed things. It, uh, it, uh, it um, failed. Uh, so the chair of the legislature, Pete Savage, put up Mark Carney's name. Now, now realize the the law governing the Erie County Water Authority is from the state. It's a state authority. It is not a department of Erie County government. All we do in the legislature is appoint the commissioners. And the way the law reads, uh, the chair of the legislature puts up a, a nominee, and we can either vote for or against them. And I think most people, well, ten of us, felt as as I did that uh, Mark Carney, who interviewed about a week ago for the, uh, for the job, along with two other candidates, was certainly qualified for this. Uh, so in the end, I, a Republican, voted for this Democrat because I couldn't vote against him. I couldn't figure out a reason not to vote for him because I, I think he certainly was qualified. Um, I think we all realize that reforms need to come at the authority, but those reforms are going to have to come from the state. I have a resolution that uh, was referred to the Government Affairs Committee yesterday that dealt with the issue of golden parachutes and would urge the state to change the law governing the authority to outlaw, in effect, these golden parachutes, which I think started this latest round of publicity about the authority. In fact, what the golden parachute deal would have given uh, Earl John, the chair of the commission, about a three hundred, maybe $400,000 payout if he was ever ousted from the authority. And again, because of the way this thing works, every time a new party takes over, they try to put their own people on the board 
Therefore, a new majority on the board comes up, and uh, it was controlled by Republicans. Once Carney takes over, it will be controlled by Democrats. And and this whole scenario is something that really had Logren uh, very upset, saying he really wished they could have just put it all on hold and worked a little more about uh, all the politics and the patronage and the parachutes. Well, it's very frustrating. Everybody knows it. My colleagues know it. The county executive knows it. The state delegation knows it, and most importantly, the ratepayers know it, that this is a failed and broken system, and this vote today was to sustain a culture of corruption. Now, you had some of your colleagues with you earlier in the day, but in the end, it was a 10 to 1 vote. I thought I had the votes, and, uh, you know, this is a victory for the party chairman today. So... you know, there were a lot of questions raised in there. Is it, you know, is, is, can reform happen with, with Mark Carney? No. What? It's a broken system. Two-thirds, one-third. I've been in, serving the legislature for a decade. All my years here, there's three commissioners. These, this latest outrage, the golden parachutes, it was a two-to-one vote. Was anybody on your radio station complaining about the vote? Was anybody doing an op-ed piece? There's no checks and balances. The Buffalo News had to foil those contracts. So there was no heads up for, for the dissenting vote. How would delaying it 90 days correct the corruption that's been going on for decades? I think it would have sent a clear message to our state delegation that we're serious about reform. And I think it would have been uh, to uh, 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 form a panel and a commission with uh, looking at our options, whether private management or folding it into a county department. Uh, it would have been uh, the beginning of the end of, of, uh, of this culture of corruption. That's Erie County Legislator Tom Logren earlier in the week. Let's bring in live now Erie County Legislator Ed Rath, a Republican from Amherst. Ed, thanks for joining us. You, I understand, are about to move kind of in the same direction that, that Legislator Logren talked about. Tell me what you're proposing in regard to a, a reform commission. Uh, thanks for being here, by the way. Tell me what were you proposing in, in terms of a reform commission for the uh, Erie County Water Authority? Good morning, Dave. I'm happy to be here. Um, That's exactly what I'm uh, proposing is a task force of industry experts who can come in to the county legislature being appointed by both the majority caucus and the minority caucus and offering really some expert opinion on what's happening at the Water Authority and how we can provide legitimate and serious reforms to the outcomes that are provided for the ratepayers of Erie County. Are you one who wants to see it folded into Erie County government? You know, when it comes to the model and the structure of the Water Authority, I think we need to be very careful. Uh, There have been some ideas to fold it into county government, but there are operational models that are working in other communities that I think we need to research. And my task force, which we've been working on for a couple weeks, and my resolution is almost complete, will literally bring in people from the outside municipal uh, water distribution experts, engineers, uh, perhaps water conservation experts, as well as uh, a representative from the county attorney's office to sit ex officio on this task force and look organically at what's happening at other water authorities across New York State and perhaps other models across the country because we have lost the trust of the ratepayers, Dave, and that's very frustrating. We need to look at ways in which we can reform it. So once this resolution is proposed, uh, I would say within a four- to six-month period, uh, this task force can provide its recommendations back to us at the county legislature, and we can look to see how we can petition New York State. Because understand, New York State is the one that controls our water authority, so we can petition New York State for ways to reform it. All right. Now, if you're talking other models, I'm, I'm not the task force, obviously, but I can think of three, leaving it like it is, spinning it off into an Erie County department, or possibly privatizing it. Is that last one one you're considering? I think we've got to look at every model, Dave. Um, There have been examples, and just this past week in the Wall Street Journal, it was an example of a privatization of a water authority in the state of Connecticut. So if that model is uh, working, uh, we've got to look at it very closely. I do know this, that if we keep business as usual, we're going to have the politics that are going to be uh, embedded within the water authority, and we're going to have a lot of agendas that 
might not be in the best interest of the ratepayers of Erie County. So this task force can detach the politics from the water authority. We're going to have three appointees in the majority caucus, three appointees from the minority caucus. And I think at the end of the day, uh, we're going to see what's working, what's not working. And also understand this, there are hundreds of tremendous employees over at the Water Authority that are doing great work for our community. Unfortunately, there are some uh, political uh, components right now, particularly the golden parachute that is really capturing the attention of everyone. But understand this, day in, day out, the Water Authority is doing great work for the ratepayers of Erie County. I understand that when they voted in Mark Carney, the the most recent Democrat, to uh, take his seat coming up in April, that it was 10 to 1 with Tom Loughran being the only no. You were in favor of Mark Carney, while at the same time you're saying, gee, this is full of politics. Explain how, in your mind, that's not a dichotomy. Well, that's a good question, Dave. And I think at the end of the day, uh, Mark Carney made a wonderful presentation, as did both other candidates uh, for the commissioner position at the Water Authority. Uh, Mark has a tremendous background uh, in the legal field. Uh, His family and himself have been involved in public service for a long time. Uh, Much like my colleague, uh, Legislator Hardwick, uh, I couldn't find a reason to not support Mark Carney. But going into the process, he was one of three candidates that was uh, interviewed and interested, and he was the only one that was a major Democratic donor. Doesn't that perpetuate the political system here? I understand your point, but uh, I don't think that um, him being a political donor at the end of the day really uh, is what influenced me or anyone else when it comes to him being appointed to the Water Authority. I think it was his background. I think it was his presentation. Clearly, he did his homework. Uh, We asked tough questions. We were there for a couple of hours interviewing these commissioners to make sure that they had done their homework and were prepared. And I think Mark was. And We asked him if politics is going to be a motivation at all for his decision-making as a commissioner, and he said it would not. All right. 803-0930 is the number. We're talking about the Erie County Water Authority. Ed Rath is with us for just a little bit longer. If you'd like to get aboard, now would be the time. He's here till about uh, 1030. We're talking about uh, the reform measure that he's putting forward. Wants to see basically a blue ribbon panel try to study what's best for the Water Authority. Again, with all of the politics and the patronage and those golden parachutes being in the news, we figured now would be a good time to open up the phone calls. We'll take a quick break, give you a chance to dash to the phones, and then return with Ed Rath after this. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. This is Dave Debo. Erie County Legislator Ed Rath, an Amherst Republican, is with us. He's about to introduce a measure in the legislature calling for a task force or a blue ribbon commission to look at the Erie County Water Authority to examine what would be best for its future in light of all of the discussion that's come out about how they are so politicized in light of the uh, golden parachute deal for the current chairman uh, that some people say runs up to about as high as $400,000. There's a lot of criticism of the authority. Ed says, let's get to it. Let's try to figure out what to do in terms of going forward, maybe even with privatization. And, of course, the county legislature can't exactly themselves do this. They would recommend something to the state legislature, a local rule message. The state delegation locally would say, okay, we're on board, theoretically, and then it could go off and and be approved by the rest of the state. Part of that scenario, Ed, though, uh, thanks for sticking with us. If people want to join and and have a question for Ed, by the way, 803-0930 is the number. Part of that scenario would involve somehow the state legislature dealing with the debt, I know that authorities exist for the sake of bonding, for taking out uh, loans to themselves, basically, in order to run an authority. I know that a couple years ago when reform was looming, they took out even more bonds. So there's a big debt there that would have to somehow be addressed if you wanted to either privatize it or if you wanted to somehow roll it into Erie County government. What are your thoughts there? How, How can that hurdle be cleared? Uh, The debt at the Water Authority, and and you're right, Dave, this is a very important question, and it's one of the first things that really comes to mind when you think about the Water Authority, is between 75 and $100 million. That's what the outstanding debt is at the Water Authority. And it is a major concern that if this were to fold in underneath county government, uh, that we would have to assume that debt obligation. So I think that's going to be one of the um, points that we're going to make to this task force is to look at uh, that scenario and what we can do to to solve that question. Could the county just rebond to cover that, or would they have to throw that into the county budget as, as a regular department? I would think we'd have to look at both ideas of either rebonding or pushing it into um, uh, another department of Erie County. 
Uh, I have deep concerns about it being a county department. Uh, I would admit that to you. Uh, I would hope there'd be a model out there that could be something other than that. But again, uh, I don't want to have the county legislature researching this, the county legislature perhaps interjecting agendas and politics into this process. I'd much rather have it so we reach into some community experts uh, to make some recommendations to us. How likely is it that the state would go along with whatever scenario comes up here? Uh, We just got a a comment on our text line. At the end of the day, nothing will change. It's been this way for at least 30 years. Can the legislature, uh, with all the best intention and, and some good PR along the way too, put forth recommendations that just evaporate at the state level? Well, it would be my hope that the uh, state delegation, as well as all of New York State, would see the challenges that we have at the Water Authority. And mind you, these are challenges that are exclusive to Erie County. Uh, these are probably the same challenges in Onondaga County, Monroe County, Nassau County, all the other areas that have water authorities. And reform has to happen. And, you know, this is a year in which, uh, you know, there are campaigns, there is uh, statewide races that are happening, so there's going to be a microscope on state government. This is another way for us to uh, heighten a focus on a real problem across New York State. So you think that if this is timed well enough, it could be a campaign issue and, and maybe uh, raised on the state level as part of the bigger debate goes, that goes on about ethics? I think it needs to be a part of the conversation. Absolutely, Dave. Um, we have a huge challenge here. And um, who better than the folks that uh, you know sit in the state house to look into it because they're the ultimate decision makers. But again, I go back to my model of the task force. And I think if we go to the community and we find a panel of experts who are going to be doing this for the right reasons and trying to improve our water authority, we can start to restore the trust of the ratepayers of Erie County. Because right now that is lost. And I think this is a major step in the right direction to restoring that trust. Hasn't this been done before? Wasn't there a commission or a group of reform plans about 10 years ago that ended up failing to get any real traction? You know, there was something that was looked into uh, before my time in the county legislature, and uh, I think that uh, it it didn't uh, succeed or move forward, like you said. Uh, But maybe let's look at what was uh, proposed before and improve on it. And I also want to make an important point that at that time, uh, County Legislator Tom Loughran was the chairman of the committee where this proposed reform to the Water Authority never occurred. And the reason why that part of the proposed reform never occurred was because he let it languish in his committee. So many times he talks about politics and he talks about agendas and he talks about we need to move quickly on reform when he was the very person who stalled those potential reforms more than a decade ago. And yet this time around, he would have been the one that would be stalling the uh, the imposition of another Democratic commissioner. Could it be that he had a, a change of heart? Or is that story just another reason why so many people out there, I believe, would say this thing is never going to change? Well, I can't speak to, to his agenda or, or what his thought processes are. All I can speak to is the fact that change has to happen. All right. The best way I believe for this change to happen is through this task force idea. Ed, uh, I didn't plan it this way. We are almost out of time here. We have one call that's still on hold. Can you stick with us uh, for maybe two or three minutes after the break uh, and take that call, and then we'll let you go on your way? I'd be happy to, Dave. Great. Very good, then. Erie County Legislator Ed Rath is with us. We're talking ever so briefly now, just a little bit more, about the Erie County Water Authority. And then after the newscast, we'll also move on and look at the big Percoco verdict out of Albany. One of Governor Cuomo's former top aides convicted of three felonies in that big corruption trial. We'll kick that around after the newscast as well. Stay with us. Much more to come. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. On Tuesday of this week, Governor Andrew Cuomo's former top aide, Joseph Percoco, was convicted on three felony corruption charges, cleared of three others in a, a mixed verdict, actually. Prosecutors say Percoco and his family uh, accepted about $300,000 in bribes. They say that included some payments from a Syracuse development company. Uh, they said that part of the negotiation there was to get a no-show job for Percoco's wife. But uh, it's something that is going to be kicked around once again as the campaign season gets closer to us. Let's been, bring in uh, Peter Haskell from our sister station in New York City, WCBS 880. Peter was in the courtroom when that verdict came down, and he's here now. Peter, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Tell me what it was like in the courtroom when the verdict came down. Well, it's always very tense when when you know a verdict is coming and you're waiting for the jury to come in. Uh, Joe Percoco was rocking side to side until the jurors came in. Then he sat down. 
the first verdict that came in was not guilty. There was a gasp in the courtroom. One person clapped. The second count was not guilty. And then three guilty counts followed. So Prococo was convicted on three counts and found not guilty on three counts. And the three guilty counts, they were felony counts, obviously, of taking a bribe, more or less? So one of them was uh, was bribery. The other two were honest services fraud, which effectively meant he was selling his influence or his power for money. Now, typically in cases like this, the attorneys gather and chat with reporters afterwards. What did the defense say after the trial, if anything? Well, there was no promise of an appeal, but Prococo's attorney did say they would review their options. What that means, we don't know. Uh, again, he was convicted on three, cleared on three. They could appeal if they want. Oftentimes they do, but there was no mention of that right after the, the trial and the verdict. Uh, let's hear just a little bit of that. Here's defense attorney Barry Borer and just a very little bit from Prococo himself. Obviously, uh, we're disappointed. It's not the result we were looking for. Hopes were raised when we heard uh, not guilty on the first two counts, and uh, it, it was not to be. But we are... Uh, reviewing the the uh, jury's verdict uh trying to figure out what logic or consistency there is in the verdict we are uh reviewing other options and um what we might do in terms of making motions and uh, pursuing our appellate rights uh, until then we bid you adieu mr Pococo, are you disappointed yes i am I am disappointed, but as Barry says, we're going to consider our options and move forward. Have you talked Did to your family? Contradictory verdict? I am uh, thankful to my wonderful legal team, uh, and I'm thankful to my family and friends that have stood by me through this entire process, and I look forward to them all standing by me as we go forward. Obviously, uh, we're disappointed. It's not the result we were looking for. Hopes were raised when we heard uh, not guilty on the first two counts, and uh, it, it was not to be. But we are uh, reviewing the, the uh, jury's verdict, uh, trying to figure out what logic or consistency there is in the verdict. We are uh, reviewing other options and um, what we might do in terms of making motions and uh, pursuing our appellate rights. Uh, until then, we bid you adieu. Mr. Pococo, are you disappointed? Yes, I am. I am disappointed, but as Barry says, we're going to consider our options and move forward. Have you talked to your family? Contradictory verdict? I am uh, thankful to my wonderful legal team, uh, and I'm thankful to my family and friends that have stood by me through this entire process, and I look forward to them all standing by me as we go forward. That's Joseph Prococo. WCBS's Peter Haskell is still on the line with us. Peter, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on to talk about this is the very next day you were one of the reporters that was there when Governor Cuomo responded to this for the first time. Talk a little bit about that. Well, the governor has really been avoiding this topic for a long time, and his name came up a number of times during the trial. He has never been accused of anything, and the governor made uh, note of that very strongly, that he's never been accused of any wrongdoing. But there's no question about it. Prococo, after leaving the governor's office to work on the campaign, routinely was back in his old office. And during the trial, it came out that he made more than 800 phone calls from the governor's office. So the governor says that's not proper. It shouldn't happen. And we asked him, did you know Joe Prococo was working there? And his response was, well, yes, but it was specifically for transition-related work, and that really does beg the question. 800-plus phone calls, what was the length of this transition? What did they expect? And what, did it seem proper to them that Prococo was routinely showing up and doing government work? And the governor responded and said, well, yeah, it, it wasn't proper, did he? So in two separate questions, he did say it was improper and it shouldn't happen. And once you leave, you leave. But when pressed on whether he knew that Prococo was showing up, he seemed to indicate it wasn't a big deal because, in his words, it was part of the transition. And we have some of that uh, encounter here. Let's play that now. The jury came back with a verdict yesterday. Uh, I respect the verdict. I was an assistant district attorney. I was the attorney general of the state of New York. I respect 
the justice system, um, and I respect the verdict that the jury came up with. On a personal level, this is uh, both sad and shocking, I feel, for the Prococo family. Uh, he has two young daughters who are going to have to live with this trauma. And uh, I feel for them and the pain that they're going to go through. The uh, behavior violates everything that my administration is about. We strive for total integrity. Uh, and this is a total aberration from the people who work in the administration. I've worked uh, with uh, all sorts of people in government, in the federal government, local government, state government, and we have the finest level of state employees who I've ever worked with. Uh, and this is a total aberration from that. People will do wrong things. People will make bad and wrong decisions. Our job in government is to have the systems in place to catch those bad acts. Uh, and that's the job that we have to perform. Any questions? That was Governor Cuomo speaking with Peter Haskell and others. Peter Haskell from WCBS is on the line still with us. Peter, after uh, the verdict came down, after those comments the next day from Governor Cuomo, was there any indication as to what comes next? The sentencing is set for June 11th. Um, Prococo will be sentenced on June 11th based on the three convictions. He is subject to up to 50 years in prison. It's unlikely he'll get anywhere near that amount. There are federal sentencing guidelines which dictate what is an appropriate sentence. Uh, they include uh, past criminal activity, all kinds of things. There's a range. The judge will typically sentence within that range but could either give a, a defendant more or less time in prison. And I know that in the, in the days immediately following the verdict, all the good government groups came out and said, we need ethics reform. Did the governor address that? Did he say uh, that he's going to be submitting anything to the legislature, or did he just uh, let that lie and move on? You know, the governor was asked about it, but he really didn't address it directly. And that's one of the things that seems so frustrating to these good government groups. In the past, they say the governor has talked a good game about good government, but he really hasn't done anything, and they're effectively accusing him of being all sizzle, no steak. The governor, again, had an opportunity to address it. He didn't take it specifically. Uh, he indicated generically that more needs to be done, but there was no, hey, this is going to change. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to prevent this kind of thing in the future. He didn't go there. And I would suspect for the good government groups, that's, that's frustrating. And give me a little bit of an analysis. I know you're a just-the-facts kind of a reporter, but if you could put an analyst head on for just a second and speculate what this will mean during the gubernatorial re-election campaign. You know, it's hard to say. The government, uh, the governor uh, has a lot of money, and he's got a lot of influence, and he really seems to be working hard in the early going to line up supporters and line up uh, organizations or unions that will help him. He's got so much money and he's got so much name recognition that it really is going to be hard for someone to challenge him in, in a primary or a general election. And on the Republican side, they don't really have a big name person. It's possible somebody will come in who can help self-finance. Uh, there has been talk of a Democratic primary, the latest rumor is that the actress Cynthia Nixon is interested. But again, she would generate a lot of attention, but the governor still seems to be in a pretty strong position unless there is some kind of groundswell of interest in these ethical issues. Uh, but with, with the, the money that he has and the, the ability to raise more money, he seems to be in a pretty good position. All right, Peter, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. That's Peter Haskell from WCBS 880 in New York. Now let's bring in Morgan Hook. He's the former 
Press Secretary for Governor David Patterson. He's an Albany-based political commentator and a lobbyist, a guy that basically watches this sort of thing for all the, the political strategizing that goes on out there. Morgan, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Dave, for having me. Tell me, what do you think is the impact here on the governor? Yes, we're, we're talking now, right now, in March. Elections aren't until November. Theoretically, the governor hasn't even announced yet. Do you see this being a campaign issue? I, I certainly see people trying to make it a campaign issue. People are already trying to make it a campaign issue. I think, look, there are a couple different ways you can look at this. You can look at this from a governing standpoint. You can look at it from a from a campaign standpoint. Um, you're asking me to look at it from campaign standpoint, so I will. And yeah. Campaigns are uh, are a rough business, and they are um, there are certain certain truths I think to campaigns, and one of those truths is. Does the public even, one, know about this, or two, care? Uh, there was a good editorial in the Buffalo News yesterday um, that spoke to this issue, and they said, look, uh, if the governor really wants to address this, he needs to go full throat on ethics, and he needs to get a new sort of ethics uh, laws passed or, or show that, that he wants to make a, make a move on that. And, and yes, I, I think that that is a governing standpoint. It's certainly something to make an editorial board happy. But if, again, if we're strictly talking about re-election, people don't care about ethics. Over and over and over again, voters are not voting based on what ethics reforms you got passed. They're voting on how popular you are, how good is the economy, have you created jobs. And on those numbers, even in this editorial that the Buffalo News did uh, yesterday, and I would encourage your listeners to go read it, um, they said he's been a pretty good governor for Western New York. He's been a pretty good governor for, for the state of New York. His poll numbers right now are for a guy who is in his eighth year of office and looking to run for a third term. His poll numbers are outstanding statewide. And there is simply nobody else on the horizon in, in a potential Democratic primary or Republican candidate who can, who can match him, who has the name recognition, like your reporter was just saying, who has the name recognition, who has the funding and those are sort of the hard realities of campaigning in any state, but especially in New York. All right. Now, I want to talk about ethics in a little bit. We might have to hold that over till after the news break. But uh, if you're talking about editorials and politics, there's this from the New York Post. Uh, they had one earlier this week. It said, make no mistake, Tuesday's conviction of one-time top aide and longtime confident Joseph Prococo is as much a reflection on Governor Cuomo as on Prococo himself. They go on to say, and though Cuomo wasn't charged with any wrongdoing, the trial did nothing to allay lingering suspicions that the governor condoned and even encouraged, encouraged that shameful status quo. Is that why you say he needs to come out hard for some sort of ethics reform here to at least make it look as if uh, something is trying to be done? Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't. I am not saying that he needs to do that. I'm saying, you know, the Buffalo News said All right. he needs to do that. I, I think from a campaign standpoint, he has no reason to come out hard for ethics reform because ultimately voters don't care. I mean, time and time again, voters simply do not care if you have passed uh, really groundbreaking uh, ethics reforms. They're not paying attention to the details of it. Um, so, yeah, you know, it probably makes sense for him to go and do something like that because it can blunt some of the political attacks that he will face. But, you know, look, the New York Post is making a lot of the same arguments that Republicans are going to be making against Andrew Cuomo. And it's this sort of guilt by association. Um, I, you know, these are really diligent prosecutors. I'm sure they would have loved more than anything to have charged Andrew Cuomo with a crime. And they couldn't and they didn't. And that is very telling. So now it's this all it's this. uh you know, guilt by association accusations that he's going to hear from Republicans and things like that. But, um, you know, you can't be a police, you can't be a watchdog for every single person in your administration. And having served in two gubernatorial administrations myself, look, you sign an ethics form, you you commit yourself to be uh, to live up to that public trust. And there's an expectation that you do that on your own. You don't expect the governor of the state of New York with a $150 billion budget and thousands upon thousands of state employees to be the watchdog for every single person in his administration. Now, you said that the public, by and large, doesn't care. And I, I can certainly agree with you to a point that says, again, that, that November is a long way away. But between now and November, can Republicans, can attack ads make them care? Is there a possibility that well-timed ads, without maybe the war chest that Governor Cuomo has, I agree, uh, but but can well-timed ads keep this enough in the spotlight that it becomes a factor in November? 
Well, so again, this is so this is a question of sort of pure uh, electoral economics. And yeah, if they had some massive war chest and they could get ads up now, maybe. But the simple truth is that none of the candidates do have that kind of resource. And so the only ad, so, you know, Mark Molinaro looks like he will probably be the Republican nominee for governor. And Mark is a uh, he's been a, a good public servant and um, is widely uh, respected, I think, in Albany. But the fact of the matter is, is that most people have never heard of him. And, you know, most people in Erie County and Western New York, the first time they're going to hear of Mark Molinaro, it's going to be when Andrew Cuomo puts out an attack ad, you know, uh, characterizing him in whatever way the Cuomo campaign wants to characterize him. And that's going to be the first time they hear about it. So I just don't think Republicans are going to have the ability or any potential Democratic primary challenger is going to have the ability to keep this story alive. And the fact that we already have a conviction at this point um, means that it's going to kind of go away. Like there's no more court case. If the, if the case had been a hung jury, which I thought it was going to be, it, yeah. it was going to be. Yeah, I think everyone was expecting that. You're right. Yeah, that would have kept it in the news. Now it's going to largely go away. It's time to talk politics. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. Now, here's WBEN's Dave Debo. And I always say it, but again, this week it is true. What a week it is to talk politics. This was the week where Louise Slaughter, the Rochester area congresswoman, died. Before this next hour is done, we'll hear a variety of tributes to her and chat with a former staffer. This was also the week where in Washington there were a lot of developments involving the FBI and Robert Mueller and that firing of Andrew McCabe. We'll get to that, too. We're also going to talk about local connections to President Trump's new chief economic advisor, Larry Kudlow. It turns out he was a, uh, basically an apostle of Buffalo area Congressman Jack Kemp. We'll talk with the former Kemp staffer on that. But first. Governor, what do you say to your critics who are trying to tie you personally to this conviction because of Joe Prococo's close relationship to you and your family? I say to them, Marsha, uh, look at the facts, right? We're in the political silly season and people can say whatever they want to say. There was absolutely no suggestion ever made that uh, I had anything to do with anything. The governor called it political garbage. That's Governor Cuomo with WCBS's Marsha Kramer on the line with us still from the prior segment. We've got Morgan Hook here. He's a former press secretary to Governor David Patterson. He's an Albany-based lobbyist and political commentator. Morgan, just for the sake of recap, I want to get into this again. You say that the public doesn't necessarily care about ethics. If you could just reiterate that so, so we can get into it again. Yeah, sure. And, and I want to be clear. This isn't um, I'm not advocating for this position. I'm, I'm sort of speaking to the reality that we see. When you, you don't like that this is the way it is, but you're saying this is the way it is. Yeah, personally, I don't like it because I do think that there are some good government reforms that would really help um, create better policies on a state and federal level. But yes. So what we see is it's not that the public doesn't care about ethics. It's not that they don't care about scandal. But they don't. The first thing that they want from elected officials isn't ethics, ethical reforms passed in law. What they want government officials to do is to make the trains run on time and to create jobs and to give them a sense that things are going well. And on those marks, you know, despite this this round of news here on those marks, Andrew Cuomo, uh, every poll will show you, is doing exceptionally well, especially for someone who is in his eighth year in office and running for a third term. His poll numbers are outstanding across the state. Let me try to play some devil's advocate here. And if others would would like to join me, the phone lines are open. 803-0930 is the number. If the two main issues that people care about are, as you say, whether the trains are running on time and whether they have jobs, how is it then that the governor is able to do all the things that he's done in lately in public statements lately about moving New York State in a better progressive direction. He talks about everything from the SAFE Act. He talks about everything from uh, gay marriage. He talks about immigration. He clearly starts to position himself as someone who is in many ways against the kind of things that Donald Trump represents. If people don't care about much more than jobs and basic government efficiency, is that a misplaced argument too? Well, so this I think brings in the other um, big factor uh, for any election in 2018. Um, and this is also, I think, a dramatic change from the last time the governor ran for re-election in 2014. Um, 
the national trend right now. And again, most voters, they're not paying, they're not, uh, paying that close attention. You know, they'll watch the news while they're doing the dishes at night and feeding the kids. Um, the fact is, is that right now it is very bad for Republicans nationally. Um, we just saw this special election in a rural uh, GOP plus 20 district in Pennsylvania that a Democrat won. Andrew Cuomo is running against Donald Trump. And most voters who, go, who are going to come out and vote in November of 2018 in a general election, those are voters who are not paying a ton of attention. They don't know the particulars of the Percoco trial. They know that they don't like, Andrew, uh, they don't like Donald Trump. And they know that they want change. And Democratic voters right now are incredibly energized. And uh, GOP voters are kind of not energized and kind of aren't showing up. This is what we've been seeing in all of these special elections and, and other elections around the country these last few months. And Democrats are turning out. Moderates are breaking big time towards uh, Democrats. And it's because of Donald Trump. And in a state like New York, where... Democrats hold a massive uh, voter enrollment advantage over Republicans. Republicans have a, have a hard time winning a statewide election, even in a, in a GOP wave year, as we've seen the last two times Andrew Cuomo got uh, uh, elected and then reelected. With the Trump administration and with these sort of – we saw what happened on Friday uh, with the firing of McCabe. The, the Mueller probe isn't going anywhere. With the Trump administration dominating the headlines and those voters extraordinarily unhappy with what is going on in Washington, they're going to turn out and vote for Andrew Cuomo. All right. Before we go to the calls, I, I want to challenge you just a little bit on Pennsylvania. Some of the conventional wisdom I've seen is that special elections are never harbingers, that they are indeed special. And you can't necessarily put a template on it and say, because of what happened in Pennsylvania, it indicates thus and such for the midterms. It sounds like you disagree. I do disagree. I, I mean, I'm not saying that just because uh, that guy, I can't remember his name, just because he won in, in Pennsylvania, then therefore there is a blue wave. But every indication we have seen from polling numbers to all of the special elections we've seen across the country, it shows that um, there, is, uh, there is energy on one side of the political spectrum and there isn't on the other. And so you can't discount that. There's a lot of time between now and November, but it's also just a fact that in the midterms of uh, any president's term, the midterms are bad for the party that's in the White House, and that's been the case for decades. All right, confession time. I had to Google it, too. Connor Lamb is the guy's name. 803-0930 is the number. Let's take a couple phone calls here. Morgan Hook is with us, former press secretary to Governor David Patterson, a Democratic political commentator. We're looking at Governor Andrew Cuomo and, to a degree, President Trump as well. Tony and Clarence, hi. You kick it off for us. You're on the air. Good morning. Well, good morning. I totally agree with the gentleman that is in any, any state. Bread and butter issues matter. And since when has government been the champion of ethics? You had a candidate named Donald Trump who said he could shoot, go into Manhattan, Broadway, and shoot somebody, and no one would care. Well, that's exactly what his administration is all about, challenging ethics. He does, he's, in fact, he's called the Sunshine King, if you don't know it. doesn't matter. Ethics, what, a morality? Come on, you've got to be kidding me. All right, then let me turn this on its head, and, and Morgan, feel free to weigh in here, because I know you're, you're a loyal Democrat, and you're not a guy that necessarily likes President Trump. If, if this theory holds true with Governor Cuomo, can we say that it doesn't matter if uh, President Trump shot a gun down Wall Street and hit someone, that ethics and personality are, are, are meaningless, and in the end, as long as the economy is chugging along, that Trump, too, would have the same benefits that you're ascribing to Governor Cuomo? So um, I don't want to do this thing where we say we we say uh, you know same as same as right yeah okay I think I think Donald Trump is I'll be very blunt here I think he is a disgrace and I think he is violating norms every day that no president Republican or Democrat has um, even come close to violating I think Trump is an extraordinary example and you can't say. Oh, well, because Trump violates a ethical norm every single day, therefore, because Andrew Cuomo, a close confidant of Andrew Cuomo, got convicted, therefore, nobody cares about ethics. You see what I'm saying? I think that Donald Trump right now, the economy is chugging along, 
and yet his numbers are in the toilet and have been ever since he took office. He is a historically unpopular president, despite the fact that the economy is doing well. So he is, as we have seen from Donald Trump since day one when he entered the election, he is breaking norms and he is upending the sort of typical political equation. I'm speaking more about that typical political equation. I think that there is a scandal right now that involves the Cuomo administration. It's happened to other it's happened to other elected officials. It's going to happen again to other elected officials. And how much of, is that particular scandal going to weigh in on his reelection chances? I don't believe that it will. The difference is with Donald Trump is he has a scandal a day that is just as bad as the Prococo scandal. And after a while, it does start to weigh in. And I think people are looking at what's happening with Donald Trump and overall are saying, I don't like this. So for you, it's a matter of degrees. Trump is is someone who is having many more frequent problems, be they personality, be they ethics, whatever, that, that it, it, it trumps the basic gut feeling people have, no pun intended there, uh, but it, it trumps the, the, the gut feeling that ethics don't matter. Scandals and you can't survive others. All right. Bruce in Tonawanda, you're up now. Hi. Hi, how are you? Great. Um, I want to make a comment on Andrew Cuomo. Um, he's, I think, the biggest part of the problem. And, and uh, I mean, I, I hate to say I voted for the guy once. And, and then he went and turned, uh, turned around and put a $5 tax on every pack of cigarettes I buy. Now, I, I realize smoking's not healthy, but I needed, I needed a crutch. And I quit drinking 44 years ago. And I don't think uh, after fighting a war for six years, he's got a right to take an, uh, something that's not illegal and charge me $5 a pack for every pack of cigarettes I buy, and what's he doing with the money? All right, uh, Bruce, uh, we have to move on for the sake of uh, squeezing more in here. Morgan, a quick reaction. Uh, high taxes, is that an issue in New York State to the extent that it's going to... Uh, it's going to be a, a, a political issue in New York State. I think that, unfortunately for that caller, for the most part, the cigarette tax has been pretty popular. Um, what about the more broad uh, discussion, though? A lot of people have criticized the governor. Republicans have criticized the governor for uh, for having a high-tax, uh, non-competitive state. Yeah, no, I mean, look, that is going to continuously be an attack that is going to be leveled at Democrats in New York. I would say when's the last time a Republican got elected to a statewide office in New York? All right. Um, so it hasn't been effective. Pete in Ontario, you're up now. Hi. Well, good morning, gentlemen. And, and you know, we have to understand, too, there is uh, one side is definitely treated a lot different than the other. You know as well as I do, right down from John Brennan, to, uh, I mean, you name it, the, the unmasking, the, the sheer crookery. And there's no hiding that. The Obama administration that's now coming to the forefront. We can't just turn around and say Donald Trump, a scandal a day. We know. We know that ABC, NBC, CNBC, you watch CNN from the time you get up to the time you go to bed. It's fully, fully uh, devoted to sinking Donald Trump. No, and, and, when he, and Donald comes up with the word fake news because 90% of it is. I agree. Donald is his own worst enemy sometimes. But never have we had a non-politician. And thank God that we're exposing the bias on the other side. In such extremes, but the whole funny part of it, and I'll close with this, is the left doesn't see it. Progressive liberals, they don't see it. They don't realize that probably 60% of the country has finally caught up to the fact that Chuck Todd is exactly what Donald called him. All right, Morgan, the idea that uh, a scandal a day is being generated by the air quotes fake news. So um, I love that I get to talk about this. I was a reporter for 10 years. I worked in uh, TV news. I can tell you that at no point was there the secret liberal media meeting that I had where we were going to go after Republicans. This idea, this idea that the uh, mainstream media is somehow liberally biased is complete and utter nonsense. There, there aren't morning meetings where they say, ooh, let's figure out what we're going to do to get Trump. But, but do you in any way concede that there is at least a, a mindset that makes Trump the issue? No. I concede that TV news will report on what they think is scandal, regardless of the political party. And we spent eight years. I, I can remember the freakout that took place over multiple TV news channels about the time that Barack Obama put his feet on the desk or wore a tan suit. 
So this idea, this this conservative idea, and Reagan pushed it, and Bush pushed it, and Nixon before him pushed it, it's a lie, guys. Let it go. There's no such thing as the liberal media. John in Rochester, you're up now. Hi. I, I've heard you on previous calls disagree with that, but jump in on whatever you had uh, that prompted you to call this time. Hey, Dave. Hey, Dave. Hey, Morgan. Morgan, you know, I thought uh, you had some credibility. With the last statement about the uh, media is not biased to the left, you lost complete credibility. Even liberal professors at UB and Buff State would agree with you on that, and they've, they've talked about that on, on uh, Dave's show. You know, the th- thing I was going to bring up, Cuomo was a very corrupt individual. This, the Moreland Commission, this Percoco thing, this uh, Simonelli thing in Buffalo with the bribes and whatever, uh, and, and, and you called Donald uh, Trump a disgrace. What about the head of the Democratic Party, Perez and Keith Ellison. Keith Ellison is a uh, anti-Semite. He was a uh, an affiliate with Louis Farrakhan, who's a known anti-Semite. All right, we haven't gotten our break in, so we're going to have to move on quickly. Morgan, jump in. Uh, we're comparing the president of the United States with a congressman who's the head of a of a political party. It's it's not an apples to apples comparison. But look to all of the the conservative Republican Trump supporters who are listening to this right now and who also hate Andrew Cuomo, that's some real cognitive dissonance. If you're looking at what the Trump administration is doing and you think it's A-OK and you look at uh, the the Moreland Commission and and the Prococo trial and you think Andrew Cuomo is the most corrupt politician ever, you really got to you really got to spend some time with your own thoughts there and, and figure out how you can believe both of those two things at the same time. All right. Enough time to squeeze in something very briefly here. Tony, I think it is on a cell phone. You've been on for a while. Go ahead. I think both parties are corrupt from the top to the bottom. Uh, I'm no big fan of Donald Trump in the sense that I thought he was the best candidate. However, one thing he is doing is revealing the corruption on both sides. Washington's a joke. Anywhere the Democrats run the city, state, whatever is an abject failure. Entitlement programs are out of whack. The budgeting is a joke. They increase budgets on things that don't need it. They, they fund these projects. They, they support people getting jobs. I mean, it's just in the paper the other day, a guy got a job in the Water Authority. I mean, come on. It's, the machine politics is, is completely archaic and passe. We need someone with... Uh, with some type of mindset that's looking out to create an environment where people can grow a business and develop and create jobs, and the Democrats are completely against that. All right. We, we, we don't have time to take that up completely. Maybe it's a, a topic for an entire another program. But, Morgan, do you ever see a third party, the rise of an independent uh, on either the national or the state stage? Um, I could see uh, Donald Trump destroying the Republican Party and it splitting off into two. That's actually something I could see. All right. Fair enough. we get, we got to get to that in another program, but I'm glad you were able to spend the time with us uh, uh, this morning on all of this. Morgan Hook, former communications director, press secretary for Governor David Patterson. Thanks for being with us. When we come back, we'll get a pro-Trump side of all of this. And this is kind of cool. There are connections between new Trump economic advisor Larry Kudlow and Western New York. We'll talk about that with former aide to Congressman Jack Kemp, Russ Gugino, on deck next after these messages in the newscast right here on News Radio 930 WBEN. T Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus ATT and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.